by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. This is Tony Richards, and welcome to our brand new Clear Vision podcast, Better Than Before. I'm joined by our producer, Bill, and by project manager, Whitney, and we're going to have a great show today. We've got a lot of things lined up. It's right after April Fool's Day, so we've got April Fool's Week going on since it was Sunday. I'm sure people are going to want to pull a lot of April Fool's jokes on people all week long. We've got today a special guest on the program, my good friend, Lorray Kwai, who's a mental toughness expert. She speaks and uh, trains and writes and discusses mental toughness. She's a former FBI agent for over 20 years, and that's going to be absolutely fun. Project manager Whitney's going to update us on what people used to do with their hair in the 1800s, and Bill is going to tell us how many hairs he actually has uh, before the show is over. So, uh, hi, Bill. Hey, Tony. How are you doing today, bud? I'm good. Whitney, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Welcome to the program. I'm sure you guys are excited. We got this brand new podcast. It's funny how people decide to do certain things, like we need to be on radio or we need to be on television. And then you say, well, why are you doing that? Well, I don't know. It just seemed like everybody else is on TV and radio. So today I wanted to share just two big reasons why we're doing a podcast. So I think it's always good, uh, especially for strategic reasons, to go back and ask yourself, why are you doing that? Peter Drucker, who is one of my heroes, and basically he invented management consulting, said there's a big difference between effectiveness and efficiency. And effectiveness is doing the right things, and efficiency is doing things right. And he said there's nothing more frustrating than doing something efficiently that shouldn't be done at all. So I thought that we might start the show out by just talking about why we're doing a show. And to me, there's two big reasons for doing a podcast. Number one, it fits right in with the core purpose of our business. And the core purpose of Clear Vision Development Group is that we bring the best business ideas to the world. We believe that Everything gets better when you get better, hence the name of the show, Better Than Before. And so we like to share information and ideas and make sure they're the best business ideas, best leadership ideas, best personal development ideas, best culture ideas, best brand ideas. Just go right down the list. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. um, We have LinkedIn. We have all these channels to distribute these great business ideas. So It just seemed like it might be the right time for us to get into the podcasting world. You guys listen to podcasts much? I do. Yeah. So what kind of podcast do you listen to? Um, I listen to a few different types of podcasts. Some are just more fun and uh, storytelling, and then others are a little bit more news-oriented. But I really like to listen to that than just the streaming of regular radio in my car. Good, Bill. Well, you listen to podcasts? I'll be honest, I don't listen. Well, maybe you listen to this one a couple of times. Once when you're like um, getting it ready for 
download and then maybe after it's downloaded. So yes. Good. Well, we're going to win you over before it's over on podcasts. The number two reason that we thought it would be good to do a podcast is because we create a lot of content uh, on our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. We have free downloads. We have some audio there that you can download on leadership influence. We have some PDFs. We have a leadership team guide that you can download. My book has been converted into audio and it's, it's available. So we do a lot of content and that's another way to get the best business ideas to people. You know, I, over the last 35 years or so, I've met a lot of interesting people and have a lot of great connections and friends and I shouldn't keep those people to myself. I, I should share them with folks. So having good, interesting guests uh, like LaRae, who's going to be on the show today, you know, what I want is after people listen, they, they all invest, you know, ever how much time it takes to listen to the podcast. I want them as in it is everything we do to walk away going, wow, that was well worth um, the value of the investment of my time. So what's going on? So I, I, there's a lot of things going on in the world. I'll tell you a little bit about what's going on with Clear Vision. Leadership Columbia is going on right now, 2018 version for the Columbia Chamber of Commerce. This will be my eighth year of providing the curriculum for that program. I got a great bunch of students. So there's 30 future and current leaders in our community of Columbia that go through that program every year. And I think over eight years, that's uh, almost 250 leaders that I've had the opportunity to groom, work with, instruct, mentor. And so our contribution back to the community, everything gets better when you get better and your community gets better when your leaders get better. So that's kind of a good, nice give back to the community from from us. So let's talk about April Fools. Have you had any kind of crazy April Fools being pulled on you in the past? Or? Well, not on me personally, but I don't know how crazy this is, but it's one of my favorite ones. At a previous job, a salesperson decided that he was going to line another salesperson up with a new lead with the St. Louis Zoo and uh, wrote down the St. Louis Zoo number with the name Chip Anzi. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got a Bart Simpson Moe's kind of feel to it, right? Absolutely. And that just, I don't know why that, that just really speaks to me, but she gets in and she sees the note and she lights up and she gets on the phone so quickly. So she's thinking this is going to be a big sale, right? Oh yeah. Actually, everyone in the office kind of knew what was going down. So we were all listening in. And so she calls the number and asks for Mr. Chip and Z and there's a long pause. All of a sudden you hear some laughter from the phone. And she goes, I think you've been had. <laughs> How many times did she have to say Mr. Chimpanzee before? Oh, at least three or four times. Oh, but she didn't realize. No, not once did she realize she was saying Chimpanzee. Well, we, we've all spent some time in the media, all three of us, and it's a perfect breeding ground for such antics as uh, April Fool's. Oh, definitely. So have you had any April Fool's jokes pulled on you? Or? Not on me. And honestly, I haven't pulled any either. I've thought about pulling some here, but I like you all too much to do that. Um, one that I did hear about was one of my friends decided that they were going to send a sample of Depends to everyone that worked at their job. And they actually sent it to their mailboxes at the company. And so everyone's getting these packages and thinking it's something interesting and it's really the diapers <laughs> and it was very 
Very funny. So craziest April Fool's prank. We'd love to hear uh, yours. So if you have one, you can always interact with the show by emailing us at info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. That's I-N-F-O at clearvisiondevelopment.com. If you're interested in sharing an April Fool's prank with us, we'd love to hear about it. Or if you have a leadership question or business question you'd like for us to answer on the show, you can always email us and uh, we'd love to have those questions so we can talk about them on the program. In our final segment, uh, we're going to talk about the Amazon domination that's going on right now with e-commerce and business. And in our next segment, we're going to have Lorray Kwai, who's a former FBI agent for 24 years. She was a counterintelligence, dealt with foreign spies and tried to get them to convert to our side and uh, worked in the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now she teaches and trains on mental toughness, and I'm excited about talking to her. And we'll do that coming up next on Better Than Before. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Well, today I'm really excited because on our first podcast, we're going to have a fantastic guest, someone I've grown to love and gotten close to over the last few years. Her name's Lorraine Kwai, and she's a former FBI undercover and counterintelligence agent, and she did that for 24 years. And I'm excited she's joining us from uh, the wonderful world of Hawaii today. Now, what island are you on today, Lorraine? It's so good to talk with you, Tony. I'm on Oahu today. We're here on vacation, but any opportunity to spend time with you is is well worth it. Today, I want to talk to you because you've, over the years, especially with your time with the FBI, you developed uh, mental toughness and you teach it, you speak about it, you write about it, you coach your clients on how to do it. And I want to get into that. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about I mean, you and I, we bonded, I think, because we have some commonality over how we grew up. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up. I was born and raised on a remote cattle ranch in the middle of Wyoming, and the ranch was at about 7,000 feet elevation. So we got snowed in in the winters. We spent the summers putting up hay to feed the cattle during those long winters. Fast food for us was hitting a deer at at 60 miles an hour. My grandmother had ammo on her Christmas list, and I am not kidding. (laughs) So I think you and I both grew up unentitled. We didn't grow up feeling entitled or pampered or spoiled. And I think that is one thing I is so appreciated about you. And I'll tell you something else. When I interviewed with the FBI, that was, I think, the one thing that really got their attention and that they really liked about me, that they didn't have to worry about getting some little princess on board who was going to expect to be pampered. So you grew up on this cattle ranch. And and so what 
what drew your interest in joining the FBI? Well, that's a really good question. And uh, it's a question I've asked myself over the years. But when I first got out of college, I graduated with a bachelor's in um, management and marketing. I went into retail. It was a management training program and then became a buyer. And I thought, oh, this is this sounds so exciting. But at the end of the day, my job came down to trying to sell striped blouses to women instead of polka dots. I mean, I just didn't really feel like I was making a contribution. And I started looking and then I saw where the FBI was recruiting. And I thought, well, why not? I mean, I'd never thought about it. Even though I'd been born and raised on a cattle ranch, my grandmother was a crack shot. I had never, ever shot a gun in my life. It just wasn't something that I'd ever really thought that much about. So when I interviewed with them, they said, well, why, why the FBI? And I, I, thought about that. And I said, I tell you what, I like history. And history is pulling all these pieces of information together to form a complete and accurate picture of what happened. And I guess that was the right answer. So why did I join the FBI? At that point, that was sort of what made sense to me. Now, as as time progressed and I got to know myself better and I went through that academy, I realized it had to be a lot more than just pulling pieces of information together. And the bottom line is I realized I had a job that would provide me with value and with meaning. And I think any of your listeners or anybody I've ever talked to, if you can get that from your job, stay with it. You know, in your bio, it mentions exposing foreign spies and recruiting them to switch sides and uh, sounds like an exciting job. What, what was the most interesting thing that happened to you while you were, were with the FBI? Well, I tell you, I did. I worked counterintelligence and espionage and undercover work. Be hard to pinpoint one. I will say that the most memorable experience was my first arrest. Uh, and it wasn't in counterintelligence or espionage. And I don't know if we have time to go into that or not, but it was one of those oh shit moments, you know, mm. where you just put everything together and it worked. Well, I would imagine being in a job like that where uh, you're involved with criminal activity and you're after the bad bad people and things of that nature, you're going to develop some mental toughness, but you you really you really found an interest in that and got really good at it and and now you teach people about it. What keeps most people from being mentally tough? Well, that's a great question, Tony. It gets right to the heart of it. Um, First of all, let me define what mental toughness is, because I think a lot of times people think being mentally tough is bulldozing their way through obstacles or problems or whatever. And that might work in football, but it's not going to work in business and life. So I define mental toughness, and this is my definition, but it is managing our emotions, our thoughts, and our behavior in ways that will set us up for success. In both business and life, because we all know how emotions can take hold and that influences our thinking. And what we're really talking about is creating the right mindset and the way you think about your problems, the way you think about yourself addressing those problems, that becomes mental toughness because you become mentally tough when you're able to control or manage your response instead of being surprised by it. So I know you're focusing a lot on writing these days. Do you still work with clients in your practice? 
Oh, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And interestingly enough, I find that most people get to a point in their career where it's not really just enough to get to the next rung on the ladder. They really want to be able to look at themselves and their contribution to their organization, their company, wherever they are, their community. And that's where my sweet spot is with working with people. They've reached a maturity level of where they want to know more about themselves. They are tired of sabotaging their own career because of making poor choices or not giving themselves the benefit of the doubt. We all hit plateaus in our life and in our career. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of tough to break out of that stuck place. So give me a couple of examples from your coaching practice where, you know, a couple of really rewarding examples where you've worked with some folks and and you've seen some pretty awesome results. Well, you know, what I do when I start talking to a potential client is I really want to get an idea of what they need. Are they on a plateau or are they looking to move in a different direction? So first of all, I'm proud of all my clients and I don't accept people as a client unless I really think there's a way that we can communicate and that I can help them because that's not being fair to them or me. And so I think any time, and I can think of several instances, but any time I can get an individual or encourage an individual to look at a roadblock, first of all, to identify what that roadblock is, because that in itself can take a while. I mean, you can say, oh, it's so-and-so, it's my supervisor, or it's this project. But in reality, it's more than likely it's something inside. It's something inside you and the way you're responding to another person or this situation. So to look at whatever the obstacle truly is, is it, is it external or internal? And then just not give up hope. Having the resilience, when I think about people that I've worked with that have bounced back or through or around, because there is this obstacle or this roadblock or this plateau, and how do you move around it or under it or over it or sometimes you just have to go through it. And uh, looking at that mental toughness toolbox in a way that's going to be able to help you find the right tool to do that. Ray, I visited your website, you know, from time to time. I like reading your blog posts and stuff. Give me a couple from each one of these things that I found. So saying no to your self-limiting beliefs, what would you say to that? Well, I would say most self-limiting beliefs start out in childhood. And unfortunately, they're usually the result of things that either parents or teachers say to us in all well-meaning way, but to either protect us or to, to mollify hurt feelings. If something doesn't work out, it's like, oh, that's okay. You're just not that good at this, but you're wonderful at this. I mean, that's a natural response. But what it does is plant this seed in that child's mind that, hmm, I'm not good at science or I'm not good at art or whatever it happens to be. And that's a message that we just keep carrying with us as as we become adults. And it can really, it, it creates a barrier around where we'll go when it comes to 
confronting a roadblock. We just say to ourselves, no, I, I can't do that. You know, listening to you talk about that, I was, my mind is flashing back to the third grade. I had a teacher named Mrs. Susie Robinson. I, I was a kid and I love Gilligan's Island. And I watched Gilligan's Island, and they're talking about papayas. Well, you're not going to find a lot of papayas in Kentucky. So I go into my teacher in the third grade. I said, Miss Susie, tell me about papayas. And she says, well, you can look up papayas. We've got a library at the school, and we've got an encyclopedia. I want you to go look it up and write me a couple paragraphs about papayas. And I just kind of looked at her and like, oh, that's too much work or something. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She said, now, Tony, you don't want to grow up to be a helpless, hopeless. <laughs> and I thought, I and, love that. And I went and I did that and, uh, and, and I felt empowered, right? Yes. Oh, that's such a great example. That is awesome. And it can work the same way. A lot of the things and messages we get as children, they help build our self-confidence. They can help us become productive as adults. But at the same time, I remember I had a hard time with math and my teacher, Mrs. Garrity, said, you know, you're going to need a little help. That's not your strong point. So here, she gave me some little cheat sheets. And so I will never forget that. You know what I mean? And yeah. now it's it's like, and I'm not that bad at math. I mean, but it was a message that I was told earlier. So those self-limiting beliefs, all I say there is, you know, most of them are self-imposed. And it's good for us all to know where our boundaries are so we can plan how to move beyond those boundaries. You know, Not I, to contain us, you bet. but so that we know how to push beyond. You know, I, I say this all the time, and I'm a sucker for kids coming and selling stuff at my door. Even stuff I'm never going to eat or I'm never magazines I'm never going to read because I don't want them growing up hating sales. You know, and so when they come to sell whatever it is they got, you know, I'm 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 going to say yes, you know, and and buy the five dollars or the ticket or whatever it is, just because they're forming those limiting beliefs you're talking about, and I don't want them not to believe in themselves from a sales standpoint because I've seen that happen to people. I have too, I have too, and this again, this whole journey of self awareness that I really encourage my clients to embrace. If we look at what our self limiting beliefs are, or the obstacle, or whatever it is, and trace it, trace it to where it started, and usually it's going to be in not always in early childhood, but somewhere in those formative years, probably between the ages you know of two or three months, all the way up to about twenty or twenty. Five, And at that point, our brains kind of start to stabilize. Instead of forming, it can still grow, but we have to put more effort into it. And that's where adults, they, they become stagnant. They don't push that brain to continue to learn. And it can. It's not like your brain automatically stops. I think it physically stops growing at about your early 20s, physically. But it can continue to grow other ways until you're 90. So that brings us to rewiring your brain for new patterns of behavior. That sounds like that could be borderline painful. <laughs> um, you know, there is this thing called neuroplasticity. And basically what it is, is the understanding that the brain can rewire itself. And this means that we can change the way we think about our problems. A very interesting and natural segue from self-limiting beliefs. So 
what my approach is to use neuroscience with just behavioral science to change the way we think about our obstacles. I mean, for example, negative emotions are at their weakest when they first appear. So if you have this niggling negative thought that comes up, the time to nip it in the bud is now. Before it gets traction, before it grows legs, before it can really take hold. And there are people far smarter than I who have done research on this. So I am I am borrowing from their work. But the best way to handle a negative emotion is simply to address it, acknowledge it, and say, yes, that is anger. And use as few words as possible. Because when you start to enter into a dialogue about why you're feeling negative about something, again, you allow it to expand in your mind and it grows. And so the best way to nip a negative thought is do it early and do it quickly. One more here before we move on. Empowering yourself, the opposite of being helpless. Yes. Um, And this is where I say, you know, the lessons, the best lessons in life almost always show up as barriers. And I mean, I will, I will tell you this, the FBI Academy spent f- almost five miserable months there at the U.S. Marine Corps base in Quantico, Virginia, which is where our academy is located. And if our coaches were not pushing us into our discomfort zone, past our barriers every single day, they weren't doing their job. Now, for some people, that was firearms. For some people, it was physical fitness, like me. For others, it was the academic. We had to take a lot of academic tests because we had to learn all federal laws that the FBI enforces, right? So I I came to terms with this is a moment when the rubber met the road because I came very close to being washed out of the academy. I born and raised on a cattle ranch. I had never learned how to swim. And one of the requirements to graduate from the academy was to dive off a 25-foot diving board into a pool of water holding an M16 and then swim to the other side of the pool still holding the weapon. All of that was a requirement, and I didn't know how to swim. And I got up there, and I just – I knew I was going to die. I mean, I I just knew I was going to die. I mean, I saw even accomplished swimmers – after that jump, coming up with that gun, gagging and spitting and then trying to get to the other side of the pool. And I I had to just find the courage. I had to dig really deep. I had to come up with some very positive thinking at that point, at that very moment. I mean, I'd never heard of a new agent drowning. Uh, I knew the FBI wouldn't want the lawsuit. My parents would launch against them. And the guy gave me a, a life vest, my coach. He said, take the life vest, just, just do it. And so I did. I jumped and I came up gagging and I basically crawled on the bottom of the pool to the other side of the pool. But I had my weapon. It wasn't pretty, but I got there. And this was the thinking that the FBI instilled into me. And this is why I say empower yourself. It's the opposite of helplessness. This is my thinking as I got out of the academy. Throw me in anywhere, any part of the country, any assignment. Heck, throw me into the middle of a pool. I will survive. I will make it. I will find a way to get to the other side of the pool or to do what I need to do in order to accomplish my job. I was telling some clients yesterday that um, I just completed a two-year certification not long ago, and it was pretty tough. And I told them, I said, I don't know that I will ever use the certification that I got 
but the two years that it took me to get it did a whole lot for me, if that makes sense. Yes, because it wasn't easy. First of all, if it's easy, then you don't learn anything from it. I really hate to say that, but it's true. I mean, life is hard. Pain is inevitable. Growth is optional. Right. That's where we all fit in right there. And so we're often not pushed past that barrier unless there is an obstacle, unless there is something that's hard, something that's easy. Hey, yeah, I can do that, you know, with my eyes closed. Going to the gym and picking up two pound weights every day doesn't help you, right? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Well, you've written two books so far. They're both on our bookshelf at home. Secrets of a Strong Mind and Mental Toughness for Women Leaders. Give me just a couple of things out of that book that would interest our audience. And the thing that I learned probably more than anything, my publisher wanted me to put in women leaders. But what I learned more than anything is that when it comes to how people react There's not a lot of difference between how women and men react in their brain. Now, socially, they've been conditioned to react differently. But when we really look at what neuroscience has to tell you about the differences between men and women's brains, there's not a lot. There are some differences. Women can naturally switch between tasks faster. The thing that I learned, I think, for myself and would think that your listeners would find interesting is that it is impossible to multitask. Now, women have really bought into this more than men. They've been told they can multitask. And it's true they can switch between tasks a little faster, but they cannot multitask. It's impossible because the brain operates sequentially. And if you want to focus on something, you need to focus on it. Then move on to the next task. But this whole idea of you being able to multitask is a lie. And women particularly get sucked into that more than men. Uh, The other thing, I think, something that, again, Rick Hansen did this. You and I agree. We all share information. But Rick Hansen's done some pretty interesting research. And negative thoughts, the brain pays more attention to negative thoughts than to positive thoughts. And the reason is this, because back in the saber-toothed tiger days, man wanted to get lunch, not be lunch. And so we are conditioned to pay more attention to negative information because it could impact our safety. Positive information is nice, but negative information is what's going to stick with us. So, you know, negative thoughts are like Velcro, they stick. Positive thoughts are like Teflon. They're nice, but they slide away. See, I enjoyed reading the book because I saw it on the bookshelf and I thought, I'm not supposed to read that. So <laughs> so I, I read it thinking I was, you I know, know. you, Tony. I know you. You're thinking, ha. I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. <laughs> All right. And then you've written another one called Secrets of a Strong Mind, which is uh, a lot about your FBI years, right? It is. It's basically the story of my life. I start off with probably the earliest experience of this cattle ranch again and my pony Socks, who was a miserable little beast. And he knew how to terrorize his six-year-old rider. And I learned something from that experience. My dad was watching. He was a good cowboy. I mean, he he had a lot of horses. And, and of course, it would have been an embarrassment for him to have a child that wasn't an expert rider herself. Got the pony 
about to the east of the house and we went to cross a ditch and Socks knew what he was doing, but he, he jumped and he bucked at the same time, high and hard. And I went flying. My dad saw the whole thing. He caught the pony and he made me get back in the saddle. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want to, it hurt, it hurt. And he said, get back in the saddle right now. But that common wisdom is actually neuroscience backs that up because there is a period of time which memory is unstable. It's volatile and unstable for the first few hours. If you have something happen to you that's a negative experience, keep this in mind. You can change your memory of an incident if you can change your memory of it. So in other words, if something negative happens, get back in the saddle and try to change that memory. So I do remember getting bucked off. Of course I do. But I also remember hanging onto the horn and, and the reins and getting back to the barn on that same little pony. So while it hurt, but it wasn't devastating. I'm just saying I was able to rewrite that bad memory with something a little bit more positive. So if you have an argument with somebody, if you're in a situation where you've got a bad memory of it, try to revisit it or address it as soon as you can, because you can change your memory of it. So how much did that incident have to do with you getting across that water with your machine gun and all that? Oh, those lessons that start early in life. And I tell you, I wouldn't have been able to claim that wisdom if I hadn't taken the time to go back all those years later and revisit it. I don't know of anybody who gets through childhood without losing the red ball at some point in the playground. In other words, things happen to kids, but that's called childhood. We survive it. Some are worse than others. I understand that. I had a very rough childhood and I grew up resenting that until I was about in my mid-30s. And I actually started journaling. I wanted to find meaning of all the things that had happened to me. I just grew up with a rough crowd. That's all I'll say. I wanted to get meaning from that. And that's when I started revisiting the story with socks and, and some other things that happened that by today's parental standards, like, oh my God, I can't believe you survived. You know, a rattlesnake reached out and tried to bite you and all these different things, but I did survive. The reason I survived was because I was taught at a very early age, it doesn't do any good to point fingers, blame others, take responsibility for your own actions. You know, at the top of Maslow's pyramid, he, he calls the capstone self-actualization. And I've always renamed that convergence because just what you're describing, all these life events that don't make sense going forward, all of a sudden when you get to a certain point in your life and you start reviewing, they all seem to make sense and tell a story. And they're all converging into the person you are at this particular point. And I don't know, that didn't really happen to me until I was in my 40s for sure. There aren't a lot of advantages to getting older, but wisdom is one of them. And I'm with you. I started this process in my 30s and just kept at it. And I feel like now I still have things to learn. I'm working on a relaunch of my first book, Secrets of a Strong Mind. And my publisher is encouraging me to go back and mine more. Don't let those experiences go to waste. 
I think that is the saddest thing of all, to get to be 85 and not realize the significance of your own life. I um, put several stories of my life growing up in my first book, and then I write a monthly column. I always get feedback from people. They're like, we like your stories. People like stories. Well, and you know, the brain likes visuals. That's just, again, neuroscience can tell us so much. It can help us in the way we can change our mindset and become more mentally tough. That's why stories resonate. We can visualize ourselves. That's why whiteboards still work. You want to remember something, write it down on a whiteboard or in a journal. And also to prioritize if you've got a busy day, prioritize. It helps the brain remember what is truly important. And because your brain is not stupid, it knows somewhere in that mixed up little mind of yours that this is a priority. You can't forget it. So, but if you visualize it, you write it down, your brain can rest. It's energy into helping you first priority, second, third, fourth, and so on. I also learned growing up as an athlete that the more I would visualize the outcome I wanted, in other words, play some of the game in my head before we played the actual game, uh, I had better outcomes. Oh, Tony, it is such a great, I call it a mental toughness tool, but basically, again, it's you managing your mind rather than your mind managing you. And sometimes we know what that monkey brain can do. It's just all over the place. Visualization, it releases dopamine. When you visualize yourself performing as a football player, as a coach, as a speaker, or before your team, as you're getting ready to launch a new product, you're getting ready to do whatever you need to do. If you visualize that and it comes out in a way that's realistic, that is a success, your brain stores that. It produces dopamine. Your brain cannot tell the difference between your visualized success and a real success. So when you get into the real situation, your brain is on autopilot. It's been there before, and it really helps performance. It's an amazing tip for people who really want to take their game to the next level. And don't you find, too, that if it's been in that pattern a lot, it also gets bored? Yes, it needs to be mixed up. You know, that's the other thing. This is where, again, you ask me what kind of clients I resonate with and who resonate with me are those who never stop seeking and never stop growing, particularly mentally. I ask people all the time, what is in your Petri dish? As an FBI agent, I was never handed an investigation where the answer was given where it was a you know a slam dunk that this was the answer. No, it was a Petri dish. And so you go around the problem for your first option, your first attack at something is going to produce a satisfactory answer. The answer is probably no. So you keep at it. So you're, you become very comfortable with failure, but that is not disheartening. What's disheartening is if you don't learn from the failure, right? That's just called stupidity. So you keep working around the problem until you find the soft underbelly. I don't know if we have time for a story, sure. but I, I was assigned a um, a child kidnapping case when I was in the Phoenix division. And the boy which had just gone missing was like six years old. And the parents were devastated. And I mean, of course, we went to scour the neighborhood. We did everything we could possibly think of to find that kid. But what you don't do is you don't go back and say, you know, I'm sorry, I can't find your child. It's just too hard. It's just not something I'm going to be able to do. I failed. You don't do that. You keep at it. And we did. And lo and behold, we went to some T 
t-shirt shop and they said, I remember that boy and he was in here with a guy. Actually, it wasn't a t-shirt shop. It was just a shop. Anyway, he said he was wearing a t-shirt that was very unique. Then we started going to the t-shirt shops and found out that, you know, it was only sold in two stores, got the names and addresses of everybody who bought that t-shirt and we found the little boy, but he had been kidnapped. He was going to be moved into Mexico and sold into like a child prostitution ring in Mexico. So, I mean, we got him, we found him, but all I'm saying is that kind of determination can be so valuable. And to have a complete organization that thinks that way and behaves that way is uh, something that we're very fortunate to have in our country, I would say. I would say so as well. And that's how we're trained at Quantico. I can't say enough good things about the application process because they have us take personality tests and it's not like there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, you know, who would you like to have dinner with? Elvis Presley, Mother Teresa, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King. I mean, there's not like there's a right or wrong answer, right? Mm -hmm. But they they draw a personality profile. Internally, what FBI stands for is fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And all three of those things are taught at the academy, but you also bring them with you when you come to the academy. And that's part of the selection process. That's fantastic. And Larray, if it's okay with you, I'm going to run you through my uh, standard list of 12 questions. And I'll, we'll go through these really quick, but I like to ask these of every guest who's on the show. Number one, and we talked a little bit about this with socks, the pony, and some other stuff, but what's the best memory that immediately comes to mind? Uh, well, socks was a memory, not necessarily a good one at the time, but it worked out. You know, I think the, really the best memory was graduating from the FBI Academy, just getting that badge and those credentials. I think that's the best memory I have. Who's the number one hero in your life? That's pretty easy. It's my dad. What's the top value you subscribe to? That would be honesty. Most important person in your life? That would be my husband, Roger. What does Roger do? He is an investor. He's a VC, venture capitalist. uh, And he's actually has a PhD in neuroscience. So when I have a question (laughs) about neuroscience, I say, say, Roger, is this true or not? And he'll say yes or no or modify it. So that's why my neuroscience is pretty um, spot on. That's fantastic. What's your favorite thing in the world? Oh, oh, without a doubt, it's Gus. He's my little miniature Labradoodle. (laughs) Your favorite food? Uh, Italian. You're talking to us from Hawaii today, but what's the most beautiful place you've been to? Well, I love Hawaii, but I'll have to say, I think I'll, I'll stick with Italy. All right. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Um, In one word? Well, it would be work that provides value and meaning. So that's two words. Well, take it. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, As someone who was authentic, willing to look at the warts and all, the good, the bad, the ugly. Best advice for a younger you? If, If you fail, remember to fail forward. What's your favorite sound? Ah, now we are in Hawaii. Ocean waves. I'm right there with you. What's the best lesson you've learned? Well, we could go back to socks on that one. Life is hard. Pain is inevitable, but growth is optional. Get back on the pony. That's it. (laughs) Get back in the saddle. All right. Well, anything you'd like to promote or anything you'd like to mention here before I let you go? Well, Tony, first of all, it's been so good to catch up with you. I always enjoy our chats. And I would encourage your listeners, if they are interested in mental toughness, I do have a 45-question assessment on my website. It's absolutely free, um, but it will give you some really good feedback on where you are 
mentally tough or not in thoughts, emotions, and behavior. So if that's something you'd like to explore, go to my website and take that free assessment. And that's LaRayQuai.com. And I will also say your Twitter feed is very interesting. They should follow you on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You're on all the social media channels. What I think is great about this, and this is kind of what I want this podcast to be, is when I sit and talk to my friends, this is just like someone sitting in on a conversation we would just normally have, right? It is. You know, Tony, before you started recording, we this is just a continuation of the conversation we were having. And I love the way it's so conversational. It's real. It's authentic. It's not something that is meant to make one person look good or bad or whatever. It's a discussion. Yep. And I think that's what listeners really they yearn for. They yearn for honest, open discussion. Well, listen, I hope you'll come back sometime. I really enjoyed talking with you today. And thank you so much for being my friend. Thank you, Tony. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back, everyone. Tony Richards here with producer Bill and project manager Whitney. And uh, this is our new podcast, Better Than Before. So great to have LaRae on the program today. Isn't she interesting? She's fantastic and uh, sharing great tips about how to be mentally tough. A lot of her experiences of being in the FBI uh, and being mentally tough. I love this story about her dad putting her back on the pony and saying, you know, there's no getting off the pony and how that helped her get through the swamp training and FBI, there's no quitting, and about how she almost washed out, but she she made it through. And speaking of making it through, I mentioned at the top of the program that Whitney was going to talk about hair uh, on today's program, and she recently made a trip to Wisconsin. I'll let you tell people about it, but you were telling us before we went on the air today about some crazy things that people used to do with their hair in the 1800s. Yeah, so I went up to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and I had never been up there, and it was probably a town of a little over 10,000 people. And something that they were known for was that back in the 1800s, they had lumber barons. And so they had all these large mansions where these very wealthy individuals would live. And we took a tour of one of the mansions. And what was very interesting was in the master's bedrooms, they had what was called hair pots. And the hair pots was where instead like P-O-T, of... Yeah, like P-O-T. P-O-T pots, okay. And instead of discarding hair like we would do today, either you know in the trash or in our vacuums or down our shower drains, they would actually save their hair in these specific hair pots. And people would make jewelry out of them. They would put them on display for what looked like kind of a natural life scene with stuffed birds. It was very, very different. Hair pots. So just when you shed, you put it in the pot and then you do something creative with it. Yes. Oh, wow. Can you imagine wearing a hair necklace? Apparently I've been throwing away fine jewelry all of my life. I guess so. And look at where we've advanced to today. Can you imagine going downtown in Kansas City to the plaza and going to the hair jewelry store or something like that? 
kind of crazy. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, on the program, I want to discuss leadership and business. Uh, and so today I just thought, you know, it's on everybody's mind. A lot of business discussions talks about the dominance of Amazon. And I want to give you some figures about the growth of Amazon and also some stagnation in some of the other retailers and some of the downright just uh, devastating decline. I think one of the things that's really interesting about the strategy is Jeff Bezos has always been the kind of guy who's been long term. And so over the weekend, I went back and looked at some of his previous shareholder letters and actually pulled up his shareholder letter from 1997 from their IPO when they first publicly offered the stock. And he, in that letter, was talking about everything we do is going to be long-term. Even if we lose short-term, we're going to be focused on long-term. And he said, you know, basically in our strategy sessions, we talk about the things that will never change. And obviously, you know, the, the world changes at a very rapid rate. Uh, I think I read somewhere once that textbooks in school uh, are completely outdated every 18 years. So by the time, you know, somebody graduates from high school over that lifespan, the textbooks are outdated. That's how fast things are changing. But he said there are a couple of things that won't ever change. And he said one thing is that customers want to be taken care of. So great customer service, a lot of selection, uh, being able to look at large amounts of inventory and lowest price possible, great delivery. He said those three or four things is what we've built Amazon around over the long term. So your basic experience with Amazon. Very good. What's What do you like most about it? The convenience of it, not having to get in the car and drive to the store, especially during Christmas. Oh, definitely during Christmas. Well, you know, when Amazon started, they started out with books. Right. And they they basically took the publishing industry apart. Borders is gone. A lot of the brick and mortar stores were victims of the Amazon push. Right. And Jeff Bezos in this 1997 shareholder letter says, I'm going to give people the ability to go into the world's largest bookstore and find books that they never thought they'd be able to find and be able to get them. And as a avid reader. I mean, that got my attention right away. I don't know how many pretty rare management strategy and leadership books I've bought over the years because I never thought I'd be able to have one, but they were able to locate it or have it in their network uh, outlets that they have access to. So it's pretty awesome. What is it about Prime? Do you like the membership of it? Like you pay once a year and you're a member or that and the two-day delivery, of course, and some of the side benefits. The Prime Music, uh, I bought the Fire Stick so I could listen to Prime Music. You know, basically all the bands that I really enjoy listening to and have them stream directly to me without having to buy anything. Yeah, that reminds me, like Amazon's had some failures too, right? So they fail fast, and once they fail, they cut their losses and move on. They don't just keep trying to make it work, and the Fire Phone comes to comes to mind right away. So they were going to compete in the the um, smartphone market with Apple and Samsung and Google, and the Fire Phone just didn't catch on. And, you know, when I mentioned Fire Phone, I'm sure everybody probably thought, oh, yeah, I remember that kind of. But did anybody ever have a Fire Phone? No. Yeah. But the Fire Stick, 
has done fairly well for 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 network access and Amazon access. I use it for TV. I mean, I uh, I have Apple TV also, um, but I primarily use a Roku device with Amazon and Netflix and streaming TV. And Amazon has really gotten into the streaming, like producing their own programming and, and things like that. Um, and then buying Whole Foods, you know, so they're into the into food now and brick and mortar grocery. And I'm doing a, a strategy retreat for a client uh, where we're talking about emerging technology and changing trends. And uh, so I have a couple of slides on the Amazon Go store. Have you heard of the Go store? I have. Those sound really interesting. Yeah, so you so you go in with your membership to the Amazon Go store, which is just a brick and mortar store and when you pick up an item if you hold it in your hand for so many seconds it automatically adds it to the app on your phone so it's totally cashless it's totally uh, supposed to be like no store clerks or anything like that now i went to youtube and watched a video on the ghost store and there were some people greeting folks and helping them with items and stuff but i guess the total end game is there won't be anybody there but customers right so imagine walking into a store putting all the stuff in your bag and just walking out right you just scan your phone as you're walking in on the scanner it knows your customer number and all that and you pick up all these items it puts it in your bag and it charges you and you just leave that's kind of crazy right so maybe we can get the clear vision store (laughs) where people just come in and we fill their head full of great ideas and they walk out But here's something Jeff Bezos said that I thought was pretty important. Proactively delighting customers earns trust, which earns more business from those customers, even in new business arenas. We have to take a long-term view, and the interests of customers and shareholders have to align. So the things that are important to our employees, our stockholders, and uh, customers all are the same things. So, Bill, you buy any Amazon stock? No, I missed out on that. It's it's on up there now. I, I remember three years ago, I see this is 2018. So 2015, I think it was $300. And then uh, 2016, it went to 600 In 2017, it hit 1,000 right before the end of the year. And now, at the time we're recording this broadcast, it's like 1,600. So that's quite a growth spurt there for Amazon. Of course, it doesn't pay a dividend, but um, they're still in what they call ramp-up mode. You know, when they become a mature company, whenever that is, you know, they might think about doing that. But um, right now, they're just putting all of it back into the growth because, as we know, growth sucks cash. Okay, here's here's uh, some numbers I want to give you about some retail. This is in 2006. Sears was worth $14 billion dollars. In 2016, it was worth $900 million. And in 2018, the value was $300 million. That's a negative 98% growth over a 12-year period. JCPenney was worth, in 2006, JCPenney was worth $18 billion. In 2016, it was worth $1.7 billion. In 2018, it was $1.2 billion. And that's a negative 94% growth. Nordstrom did a little better. So in 2006, they were worth $12.4 billion. 
In 2016, $7.7 billion, and they've actually increased it as of this broadcast to $8.9 billion, so they're only at a negative 28%. Kohl's in 2006 was worth $24.2 billion. In uh, 2016, it was worth seven or 7.1 billion, and in 2018, it was worth 11.2 billion. That's a negative 54 percent growth. Macy's in 2006 worth 24.2 billion. In 2016, seven billion, and as of today, in 2018, they've come back a little bit to 9.3 billion. That's a negative 62 percent growth. Best Buy, $28.4 billion in 2006, $18.5 billion in 2016, and of 2018 to date, it's $21 billion. So they've recovered a little, still negative 25% growth. Target in 2006 was worth $51.3 billion. In 2016, $31.7, and they've come back a little in 2018 to $40.9 billion. That's a negative 20% growth. Walmart, 2006, 214 billion. In 2016, 243.9 billion. And they've increased it still in 2018 to 23% growth. So Walmart, by um, becoming more agile with their e commerce and buying jet.com, and Walmart bought them a couple of years ago to compete and make sure they didn't get left behind on the e-commerce um, bus. And so they've, they've actually, their strategy has actually worked somewhat. Now here's Amazon's numbers, okay? So you remember all those numbers I gave you for all those retail uh, companies. Amazon, 2006, $17.5 billion. 2016, 474.4 billion. And 2018, as of this broadcast, 726.3 billion. So from 2006, they went from 17 and a half to 726.3 billion. That's a 4,050% growth. So the evolution is taking place. Um, we're moving from this. Um, product-based walk-in, hold it in your hand uh, to this experiential um, get it online. And as, you know, as virtual reality kind of hits the marketplace, which I don't know if, if you or our listeners know much about that, but being able to put on these VR goggles and um, virtually walk into a store and having the artificial intelligence know you well enough to know what sizes you wear and what your preferences are. So basically you put on these VR goggles, you walk into this clothing store and everything's your size, right? It's just a massive selection of everything that would fit you instead of walking into a store and having to sort through stuff. And then you just pick up the items in the virtual reality and it charges you and it ships them to you. So, like, that is like another evolution of where we're going from, like, we're talking about Amazon Go, where you're physically walking in, and it's cashless and it's clerkless. But if you move to the next step where it's all virtual reality, that's even more craziness. So, you know, and I, I'm i old enough to be around when Walmart made its first pass-through 
and a lot of the smaller retailers and hardware stores and lawn and garden places and a lot of different places right, got got just pummeled and wiped out as Walmart came through their first iteration or second iteration. Then they went to the super center or this, that, and the other. And I thought back then, and I still think of it today because you still see some successful stores out there that are locally owned and operated. So it's not an automatic death sentence to be in brick and mortar and retail just because you're not Amazon. It's not an automatic thing. You have to be smart and you have to be strategic. And the thing that I always thought about for people who were competing against Walmart is, yeah, you may not be able to have the inventory and you may not be as cheap as Walmart, but you still can do some things Walmart is never going to do, right? And you can still be really, really interesting because that is what would draw someone to a locally owned store. I can think of two or three retailers here in Columbia that have specifically put a lot into their brand experience. You can't order that online, the experience you get when you go in their store. I think they'll be successful for a long time and still continue to be successful, even though you look at these numbers of how Amazon is dominating things and you automatically think, holy cow, they're going to kill everybody. I'm not sure that's possible. Okay, any parting thoughts before we leave today? I'm looking forward to that virtual reality. That virtual reality story. Well, listen, thanks for joining us today. I want to tell you a little bit about the Exponential Leadership Retreat. It's coming up in June, June 27th, 28th, and 29th. And you can get more details at our Clear Vision website, www.clearvisiondevelopment.com. It's three days with me on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday where we help you understand yourself better, help you develop a strategy for creating better results. I'd love to have you here because it's a small group. There's usually somewhere between 10 and 15 people in the class. We do it here at the Clear Vision Development Group offices, and it gives me more individual time with people with the smaller group so we can really dig into some of the challenges you have and some of the issues and really help you develop a strategy for moving forward. You get our biggest and best assess personal assessment tools so we can tell you about your behavior style we can tell you about your thinking acumen your problem solving ability we can tell you about your skill sets that you have that you're pretty good at we can tell you about the skill sets you need to work on and improve we can tell you about your motivations why you do some of the things you do and the fulfillment you get out of it we definitely can give you some scores on your emotional intelligence which we have learned is about 90 percent of your success is due to how good you are at managing yourself emotionally. And so in that three days, I know that's a lot to cover, and we cover that and a whole lot more. We start at 8.30 in the morning, and we finish up at 4 in the afternoon each day. Plus, you get to network and visit with some other folks there who are going through sometimes some of the same things or some different things. But iron sharpens iron, so it's good to spend time with other people 
who want to grow themselves as desperately as you do. So it's the Exponential Leadership Retreat. It's coming up June 27th, 28th, 29th. You can go to our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, and register. And there's an early bird fee. So you do it early. You can save about 50 bucks on your registration, and we'd love to have you there. So you can download our podcast at a lot of different places on iTunes and Stitcher and some other places. We'll be telling you more about that. But wherever you get the podcast, we would love for you to leave a review of the program and give us some feedback and tell us about the show at helps us and we really would appreciate it producer bill thank you for your time today thank you tony project manager whitney thank you thank you the special guest Lorraine kwai we want to thank her for being on the program today and we will see you next time on better than before and don't forget before we leave everything gets better when you get better thank you for listening to better than before with tony richards a business leaders podcast powered by clear vision development group For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.